Good morning. So good to see you this morning. If you're visiting with us, thank you for being here and hope that you'll come back with us anytime you are able. I do want to make the announcement that preacher training camp registration ends today. So if you haven't signed up and you're thinking about signing up, we'd love to have you. We've got a great group of young men that will be with us this year. That's June the 5th through the 10th. And as is our tradition here, the following Sunday, which would be the 11th, 12th, they will actually preach. Two of them will preach here, and the rest of them will be sent out at congregations around the area to preach. And uh, it's a wonderful, fun week, and I'm excited about that. So if you haven't registered, do that today. Also, I want to make the announcement that you're going to be without me for a couple of weeks. Please don't cheer, but for a couple of weeks, I'll be gone. My middle daughter, Zoe, is graduating from Harding next Saturday at 3 o'clock, and I told the elders I could make it back. I'd uh, be back at about 3 in the morning, but I could probably make it back. And they said, don't do that. Just take the time, be with your family. Well, we had already had a vacation planned the next Sunday, so I'll be gone for two weeks. We're going to go to our graduation, head out of town for uh, about 10 days, and, and then we'll be back. And you will be in good hands as Blake, Luke, David are all going to take care of you, and they are absolutely wonderful to listen to, so I hope you'll still be here to listen to them. Um, offer you a happy Mother's Day before I leave so you know that I'm thinking about our mothers as well. Thank you so much for being here this morning as we continue our series. What are we doing here? The idea of this series is to help our new members, our current members, and our prospective members to know what our identity is. What is it you're getting into? And here's what we want to be about. We want to be about growing. We want to be about going. We want to be about loving. We want to be about teaching. And we want to be about serving. So that's the construct of this series. And this morning, as the slide shows, we're talking about going. Reminds me of the story of Oliver Cromwell, who was an English military and political leader who overthrew the monarchy and reigned for a time in a Republican commonwealth. He, he turned temporarily England into a Republican commonwealth. But during his reign, there was a currency shortage in the British Empire. And so he sent out representatives to scour the nation to find silver to meet the demand. And the representatives came back and informed Cromwell that they could not find any silver anywhere except in the cathedrals where the statues of saints were made of fine silver. And so Cromwell responded by saying, okay, let's melt down the saints and put them into circulation. You know, a statue or a monument is something that is built to honor a dead man or a dead work. Sadly, too many saints can be more like statues too many churches can be more like monuments, which flies in the face of what our Lord intended and what Jesus exemplified, what the apostles, our predecessors exemplified. The first church began as a movement. Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 6. So when they had come together, they began asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? But he said to them, it is not for you to know periods of time or appointed times which the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and as far as the remotest part of the earth. You might remember that last week we talked about growing in this series, and we related this scripture Colossians chapter 1, Clay read from it a moment ago, we proclaim him admonishing every person and teaching every person with all wisdom 
so that we may present every person complete in Christ. For this purpose I also labor, striving according to his power, which works mightily within me. Paul's goal for ministry was for every Christian to be mature in Christ, to be complete in Christ. Complete means mature. That was his goal. The goal of his ministry, what he labored for, what he strove for, was for Christians to be mature, complete. But helping Christians grow to maturity was not an end in and of itself. There was a goal to this growth. The goal was to grow so that you could go. Salvation comes with a responsibility. We talked about Hebrews 5 last week, which reads, Concerning him, we have much to say, and it is difficult to explain, since you have become poor listeners. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the actual words of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. Saints beget saints. You grow inwardly so that you can grow outwardly. You grow you so that you can grow them. Church growth is about training the people of God to become what God wants them to be so that they can go out and do what God expects them to do. Simply put, we are to grow and go. That was the message to the apostles in Acts chapter 1, and that message is no less applicable for us today. As spirit-filled people, we are to go out and be witnesses, as Acts 1 says, to the world around us. You know what a witness is? A witness is someone who provides testimony to something that is true. It's most often applied to a courtroom setting. And in the courtroom, you can't go by hearsay. So you call witnesses. It's a term that's often applied in a courtroom setting where a witness gives an account of their own personal experiences. A witness doesn't say, I think so. A witness says, I know so. A witness is also someone who talks the talk but also walks the walk. A witness says the right things but also does the right things. And do you know what the word witness in the Greek closely resembles? It's actually the same word that we have for martyr. In the Greek. You know what a martyr is, right? A witness in the first century was someone who was probably more than likely going to end up a martyr as well. A witness had to be ready to become a martyr. To be a witness means to be loyal no matter the cost. Only the mature can handle being a witness. So we grow inwardly so that we can help the church grow outwardly. We grow first so that we can grow others. This is the method that Jesus used. We see it over and over again in his earthly ministry. Yes, he went about healing and teaching, but he also equipped his team to go out and to preach to others. How did he equip them? How did he develop his team? Well, he took them to places and put them in situations where they could help others in need. He taught them how kingdom people are to behave. He connected them to God and to one another. He released them to do ministry. He modeled what true discipleship looks like. Is that not what he's still doing? I mean, think about it. Does he not still put us in situations where we can help others? Yeah, you better believe it. Is he still teaching us? Well, of course he is. Is he still connecting us to God and to one another? Without a doubt. Is he still releasing us to do ministry? Of course he is. He's still modeling what true discipleship looks like. Nothing has changed. 
except the fact that we don't have a visible, tangible Jesus in the flesh guiding and equipping us. But we do have the Spirit, and we have a message, and we have a mission, and we have a mandate. Please hear me on this, folks. God didn't bring you this far just to bring you this far. This is not the goal. This is not the destination. This is not where we end up. You see, when it comes to evangelism, we've got to be thinking forward. We've got to be visionary. We've got to be willing to leave the pew and to go out to where the people are. But we grow ourselves first. We equip the saints so that we can go out and reach others. All too often, churches live in the past. The past becomes their hero, and they begin focusing inwardly rather than outwardly. I am very appreciative of our history here at Oldham Lane. I'm thankful that we have elders that periodically will stand up and talk about our history and will rehearse our history. That's important. But I'm also thankful that we have elders that don't make decisions based on the past. They look ahead. They are visionary, which is what you have to have because there's a reason why the windshield's bigger than the rearview mirror, right? There's a reason that we look ahead and don't live in the past because when you live in the past, you end up becoming stale. You end up dying. You know what the last words of a dying church are? Well, we've always done it this way. Or we've never really done it that way. There was a preacher who was preaching at a dying church, and he, he knew. He knew that the inevitable was going to happen if he didn't do something, that they were going to be dead in a few years. And so he announced to the church on Sunday morning that uh, there was going to be a funeral that evening at the church. Well, it was a very small church, very rural community. The people were confused because they would have heard if somebody had died. Whose funeral is this? But they show up anyway on Sunday night. They walk in the church building, and there's a casket up front, and the lid is closed. And the preacher begins speaking in very general terms. And then he says, I know all of you are here because you're curious as to who has died. So I'm going to open the casket and give you a chance to pass by and pay your respects. He opens the lid, the people pass by, and they look in to find a mirror reflecting their own image. There are typically four stages in the life of a church. The first stage is referred to as the movement stage. And in the movement stage, every Christian is on board, they're focused, they attend every service, they roll up their sleeves, they're ready to serve and get to work, kind of like when Oldham Lane started in the mid-90s. Before this building was built, you guys were meeting at the old 16th and Vine building, setting up chairs, taking down chairs, doing whatever was necessary in order to get this fledgling movement off the ground. The movement stage is exciting. It's probably the greatest stage in the life of a church. Too bad that it doesn't last. Because then you have the second stage, which is the magnificence stage. This is the stage where the church reaps the benefits that it has sown in the movement stage. It's the stage in which the church reaches its highest level of attention, uh, attendance. The, the contribution could not be greater. It's higher than it's ever been. There's a steady stream of visitors every week. There's a record number of baptisms. There's talk about expansion. The community is talking about the great things that are going on there. Sound familiar? Kind of sounds like Oldham Lane, doesn't it? However, this is the stage that if we're not careful, the commitment level can wane. It can start to fade or taper off. There's still a vision, there's still a dream, 
but the intensity can begin to diminish if you don't keep it going. And then if that intensity continues to diminish, you reach another stage, which is the monument stage. And the church becomes a monument to a once great movement. The key signs that your church has entered into the monument stage are, number one, members begin to talk more about the past than they do the future. They focus on past reputation rather than they do future glory. The second sign is that the church begins to operate in maintenance mode. It's all about protecting what we have, staying closed in and closed off, just focusing on the inward and not the outward. The commitment level has dropped off significantly, apathy has set in, and the church stands as a tombstone or a historical marker to a once great movement or some sort of magnificent thing that was in the past. Then you have the final stage. If you don't address the monument stage, you have the final stage, which is the mausoleum stage. You know what a mausoleum is? It's an above-ground burial site. It's usually made out of stone. It houses the deceased. Oftentimes, the mausoleum stage is scary because a church can be in it and not even really know it. A church can be dead and not even really know it. You see that in the book of Revelation, the church in Sardis. And our Lord spoke to that church and said, you have a, a name that is alive, but you are dead. A church that refuses to move will eventually end up in the mausoleum stage. You know, we often talk about restoring first century Christianity, which I believe by and large is a good goal. But typically our focus is on what goes on inside the building, which is good. That's important. But not so much what goes on outside the building. And if we're going to restore first century Christianity, the focus can't just be on what happens within the walls of the church building. The focus also has to be on what's happening outside of it because the first church was a movement. Church isn't something that just occurs at a building twice a week in an agreed upon time. It's not just an organization, it's an organism. The first church was a movement. And so if we want to be like our first century predecessors, we have to be willing to move. Now, there's a book called Autopsy of a Dead Church by a guy named Tom Rayner, and he talks in it about the things that led to the church's decline in America. Now, he's not a Church of Christ guy, so he's not just talking about churches of Christ, but I found it interesting in his research what he came up with, and, I, and I've seen this even in our own brotherhood at times. He talks about the things that have happened to begin this slow erosion or decline in churches across America. Here's what he says. We went from aggressive mission to maintenance. We went from leadership to management. In some cases, we went from biblical priorities to non-biblical priorities. We went from proactive to protective. We began to focus inward and not outward. And for some churches, we failed to adapt and adjust. The past became our hero. And if you ever read the book Visions of Restoration, very small book by John Young, it's not an exhaustive you know, treaty, uh, treatise on, on the whole subject of restoration, but it does give some highlights. And one of the things he says in the book is that in Churches of Christ, especially back in the 40s, 50s, there was great growth, but there's also a loss of focus. And we started focusing on what everyone else was doing wrong. Not every church was doing that, but, you know, by and large, there was a focus kind of outward on what everybody was doing wrong. And certainly there's a place to talk about doctrinal error, right? But we lost our, our main purpose. And if you're not focused on Jesus and the gospel first and foremost, then that's wrong, right? I mean, that should be our number one focus. 
And so if we're not focusing on Jesus and the gospel first and foremost, then we're losing our voice, we're forgetting our story, we're forgetting our mission, which is to be the agency by which the story of salvation is to be told. We are to be Christ ambassadors in the world. Jesus was sent, the apostles were sent, and we have been sent. And I don't think that these things apply to us. I want you to know that. We've got to be careful as we move forward to make certain that we remain true to our identity, that we certainly protect who we are, but also remembering that there's a time to gather and there's a time to scatter. And as we leave this building, we're still the church. And so we're growing here, we're equipping ourselves here so that we can remain in that magnificent stage and we can avoid some of these things that that we've been talking about. You know, Christians, pardon the crude example, Christians are a lot like cow manure. If you spread them around, they can do a lot of good, right? You leave them piled up, they can stink. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 19. For though I am free from all people... I have made myself a slave to all so that I may gain more. To the Jews I became as a Jew so that I might gain Jews. To those who are under the law I became as one under the law, though not being under the law myself so that I might gain those who are not, or, or who are under the law, I should say. To those who are without the law I became as one without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might gain those who are without the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might gain the weak, I have become all things to all people, so that I may be by all means, that I might by all means save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. You know, a sermon on evangelism and being a going church doesn't mean much unless you get practical, right? And I think that a lot of times sermons on evangelism can be shameful. You know, they kind of make us feel guilty because we're not doing enough. You know, when you hear that message over and over again, it becomes discouraging because a lot of times we struggle with evangelism. I mean, on the front end, we struggle with it anyway, a lot of us. You know, it's just hard to know what to say and how to say it. So if we're going to have a sermon on evangelism, we need to be practical and not beat people up with it. And so we talked about the four stages of a church, the life of a church, the four M's. Let's talk about the four M's of evangelism. And Paul hits them right here. First, we have the message or the messenger, I should say. Paul is the messenger, and I don't know if you noticed it here, but what Paul says is I'm flexible. I'm able to adapt and adjust all things to all people, right? Now understand what he's not saying. He's not saying to the drunkard, I became a drunkard so that I could reach him. To the porn addict, I became a porn addict so that I could reach him. To the Aggie, I became an Aggie so I could reach him. I hope you would never do that. Paul didn't change who he was at his core, but he was able to be flexible in order to reach people. Depending on the soul and the situation, Paul was able to get down on their level. Because you got to meet people where they're at, right? you got to meet people where, where they're at. Jesus took people where they were at. He just didn't leave them there. So he says, I became all things to all people so that I could save who? So that I could save all, everybody? That's not what he says. Because even Paul understood that his best efforts were not going to save everybody. And, and I kind of feel bad even saying that because you, we all have this pie-in-the-sky dream that we're going to reach everybody that we reach out to, but it's probably not going to happen. It's just not going to happen, right? I mean, evangelism is difficult, and it can bring sadness 
when you preach the good news to someone, you share the good news with someone and they don't accept it. Paul understood that on the front end. I'm not going to reach everybody, but I'm going to reach some. And if I reach some, then that's good. Sometimes I hear Christians who, who uh, in their best efforts, reach out to someone and they don't accept the gospel message. They don't respond. And they'll say something like, well, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. It's not your job to make him drink. It's your job to make him thirsty. It's not our job to make the gospel acceptable. It's our job to make it accessible. And at the heart of the gospel is the question, do I really want to be forgiven of my sins? And every person has to answer that for themselves. And as much as I would like to force that on some of my family members, I can't. Now look with me at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, beginning of verse 1. Now I make known to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel which I preached to you, which you also received, and which you also stand, but which you also are saved, if you hold firmly to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, for I handed down to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Here we have our second M. You had the messenger, now you have the message. Paul is reiterating the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15 is absolutely a gospel chapter. Christ died. Why did he die? Because of our sin problem. And do we know that he is the solution to our sin problem? Hopefully we know that. Hopefully we believe that. Because the Bible tells us that, right? According to the scriptures, Paul says. But there's another reason. Because he was buried. Because he rose again. And because the tomb was found empty. And because he was seen walking around. By at least 500 people, they saw the once dead Jesus, alive, walking around. There was eyewitness testimony. The Word says it, but the Word is also backed up by something visible, an empty tomb and a post-resurrection Jesus walking around. Evangelism is the verbal and visible declaration of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. How do I know this? Because Paul says it. Because the Holy Spirit says it, it's according to the Scriptures. It happened exactly the way the Bible said that it would happen. And he was seen by more than 500 people post-resurrection. This is the message that our Lord expects us to deliver. It's the good news. But it's bad news before it's good news, isn't it? I mean, sadly, Paul says in Romans 3.23, there is no one righteous, not even one. So there's some bad news before we get to the good news. The good news, though, is no one has to live a Christless life existence. No one has to go to hell, and God certainly doesn't want you to go to hell. And if you go to hell, you have to step over the cross of Christ to get there. Jesus paid the tab. Someone had to. Either you or him. And you can't. But thanks be to God that he sent his only begotten son to die a cruel death on a cruel cross to pay the tab that we couldn't pay. That's the gospel in a nutshell. You owe, he pays. Now, this is a difficult message for some to accept, which is why Paul says, so that I may win some. Even Paul recognized that not everyone's going to accept this and respond appropriately. I think most people would acknowledge that they're sinners. Not everyone acknowledges that they're lost. You can look at Barna research. You can look at Pew research. Any of that research 
you can look at it, and what you find over and over again is that most people do not think that they're going to hell. Most people think they're going to go to heaven. They may acknowledge that they're no good, that they're despicable or whatever, but most people think that in the end they're going to be saved. Unfortunately, that's not the message of the Bible. Jesus talked about hell more than anybody in the New Testament because he doesn't want us to go there. And in order to go there, you're going to have to step over the cross of Christ. It's bad news before it's good news. The good news is that nobody has to live a Christless existence. Even though we may not reach all, it doesn't negate our responsibility. Not every soul will be, not every soul will be stirred, but we are all to be male men and male women. We are to be a spiritual post office that delivers the divine message that the lost can be found, that the sinner can be saved, and that the dead can be resurrected. Now look at Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 1. It reads, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. This is the third M, and this is the motivation of evangelism. Take special note of Paul's words. My heart's burden. Why is it that some Christians are not more evangelistic? I think this is the reason. Because we've lost our bleeding heart for people who are lost. We should be truth-tellers with tears. We should be, among all people, the most evangelistic because of what has happened for us in our lives. We have received salvation. With that salvation comes a responsibility. You know, we can talk about our grandkids all day. We can talk about the cowboys all day. If you are in Christ, there should be nothing stopping you about talking about Jesus all day. It should permeate your being. Paul talks about people who have zeal, but that zeal doesn't get you to heaven. Zeal doesn't make you righteous. Paul says they don't know about God's righteousness. Well, if they don't know, then who's going to tell them? All of you here are the beneficiary of another Christian telling you about Jesus. My guess is maybe somebody in here picked up a Bible one day and started reading it and realized what you need to do. But most, if not all of us, are the beneficiary of someone else who was a Christian who taught us about Jesus. So now it's our turn, right, to pay it forward. If not you, then who? You may be the only Bible that someone ever reads. And listen, we have a television program here. We have the live streaming. We have a podcast. You know, we get the message out to a lot of people. But you have people in your life that I will never be able to reach. You may be the only one who can reach them. If you had a cure for cancer, you'd have an obligation to share that, right? I mean, it'd be criminal not to. The stakes are even higher in a spiritual sense because this is a spiritual sickness. If you can fix it, then you can't keep quiet. Finally, I want you to look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 11, it says, Beloved, I urge you as foreigners and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God on the day of visitation. Pay attention to that phrase, keep your behavior excellent. That is the manifestation of evangelism. Make sure that your verbal is backed up by the visible. 
Is what you're proclaiming substantiated by the life that you're living? If not, then the, the gospel is rendered null and void in your life. If you look at verses 1 through 3 of the same chapter, it says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. If you're saved, act like it. That's the message. If you're saved, then act like it. As the messenger, rid yourself of the things that can diminish the message and the mission. And grow up. Did you catch that part? Grow up. Grow up so that you can grow others. Grow so that you can go. I feel like I just did what I didn't want to do. (laughs) Shame you into being more evangelistic. That's not the goal. But hopefully to get us to recognize who we are in Christ And the responsibility that comes with that. Because if all our community knows about Oldham Lane is that it's gaining more members. If all our community knows about Oldham Lane is that it's located at 5049 Oldham Lane. If all our community knows about Oldham Lane is some of the people that go there. Or what time we meet or that we have two services or whatever. Well then we're failing in our mission, right? Hopefully when people hear about Oldham Lane. Or when they find out that you go there. Hopefully it's a springboard or an opportunity into saying, yeah, you ought to come and see what we're all about. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about this hope that I have that you can have as well. Hopefully we're not just here to sit and to soak and to sour. Hopefully we're here to worship our God, to strengthen and edify one another, so that we can be a changed people that goes out to change people. But remember, you're a farmer, right? You're not the grower, like we talked about last week. You're the farmer, you water, you cultivate, but God gives the increase. There's a story about a, a, a woman who lost her husband, and her husband didn't have a will, and so the wife goes to an attorney, and the attorney says, well, your husband doesn't have a will, so I need to know what his last words were, because obviously that's how lawyers work, right? Anyway, for the sake of the story, that's what's happening. So the the woman says, I don't want to tell you his last words. That's private. And he says, look, I need to know what his last words were so that we can figure all this out. She said, I don't want to tell you his last words. And the attorney pleads with her. He begs her, please, 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 in order to get this sorted out, tell me what his last words were. And so she relents and she says, okay, I'll tell you. His last words were, you don't scare me. You couldn't hit the broadside of a barn with that gun. Okay, well, nobody laughed the first service, so at least we're getting somewhere. (laughs) Here's my point. Last words are important, right? Last words are important. Every one of you who has lost somebody meaningful in your life can probably remember the last words that they said to you. Maybe you have a voicemail on your phone from them, and, and, and you go back and you listen to it. Last words are important. We remember last words. And in Acts chapter 1, just before Jesus ascended, here's his last words. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and as far as the remotest part of the earth. Jesus was sent. He sent his apostles. And now you have been sent. The question is, will you go? 
Let's pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for another day. Thank you for bringing us this far. And thank you for not leaving us here. May we be a group of goers. May we be true to our identity as disciples of yours, worshiping you, going out, seeking to save the lost, being everything that you would have us to be. God, may we live at the center of your will. May we seek to please you in all that we do as we gather and as we scatter. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I need to get some new jokes. But here's something that is absolutely no joke. We want to offer an invitation this morning. If you're hurting, if you need prayer, if you've been contemplating what it means to be a disciple, and you're just kind of starting out in this, and you, you want to know more about it, come see me, come see one of the elders, one of the staff members. We'd love to sit down and talk with you about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you're someone who has been studying and you feel like you're ready to take that next step, you're ready to put on Christ and baptism and begin a daily walk with God, then certainly we want to take care of that as well. We want to equip you so that you can go out and be who God expects you to be. Don't leave here this morning without hope. If we can help you, why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?